The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor-in-chief over at arrowheadpride.com. Once again, joined by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, Thursday, June 4th. How are you? I'm doing well, and I'd like to uh, offer my congratulations for your anniversary as uh, editor of Arrowhead Pride. I'd like to be the first to, to bring that up. That is something I completely forgot about amid hey. the coronavirus and everything that's been going on. Google Calendar week. wins again. How about that? Well, it's it's good to be here. How many years has it been? I think it's been 18, two, 19, two, two. Yeah, I think it's two. Yeah. Yeah. Time flies, you know, when you're covering the Kansas City Chiefs. But I appreciate that. Thank you for bringing that up. On today's show, we are going to continue our conversation about what's been going on this week. In segment two, Ron Kopp is going to join us. He did a fabulous job outlining five chiefs that are entering their contract year in 2020. We'll discuss that. And then in our final segment, we'll discuss the chiefs that landed on the Pro Football Focus Top 50, and we'll review six chiefs that have found new jobs, who the chiefs may miss the most of this group. Want to get into the news? It's been a week where uh, I think we all have heavy hearts as we're watching what's taking place in the world following the death of George Floyd and the aftermath of the protests in every city, including Kansas City. We went through some of the chief statements on our show on Tuesday. Now here we are on Thursday. If you've been paying attention to the Kansas City Chiefs and their social media and their website, They posted a statement on Monday and then went completely dark, dug into this a little bit. This has been intentional. This was a complete shutdown by the Chiefs this week. Digital, web, media availability. You won't be hearing from any Chiefs this week. There'll be no from the podium, from the Zoom conference call that we've been doing here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. And the intention here is to let the players take it all in, give them a little bit of break from what would be to them work and figure out what's happening in the world, find ways to cope. And I I suppose find ways to help and get the message across. So unprecedented really for the chiefs during the off season to go completely dark like this. But to me, that's, that's simply a sign of the times. 
Yeah, and in stark contrast to what we've seen before in these kinds of situations as well, and you see it across the league. Right, and I I was talking with John off air, and, and you noted this, John. It, it's interesting. The chief statement uh, that we read here on, on Tuesday, it seems like there is starting to become a comfort level with taking a certain approach to police brutality that we've never had before. And I was running yesterday and luckily when you're running, it gives you some time to sift through some thoughts. And I think what I'm feeling it is even as a editor, you always have to deal with these questions as to should we get involved? What should we write? How do we approach this? What are people going to think? And you're always, I think a little bit more comfortable taking what would be the safe approach. I think of Marcus Peters in Kansas city and that time and how a lot of folks were upset that he wasn't standing for the American flag. And it was just the vocal majority. And I had a problem with that at the time. And I remember just going on the radio and saying it, but to a certain extent, I would always say, I don't, like how he's being treated or I don't like how he was treated, but you know, I know nobody wants to talk about that. Let's move on. And it was a half measure. And I think what's going on in the world today is getting folks who are black, white, whatever, a little bit more comfortable with full measures. And I, I just think that that is a, a step in the right direction. A, I'll reiterate and I, I have to do it because I, I just feel like it's so necessary. I'll, I'll never, I'll never experience what some of these individuals have experienced being a white man. Right. But at the same time, what this has allowed us to do is just get a little bit more comfortable speaking out. And, and if you do feel like it's wrong, I hope that this week is a turning point in history where you won't feel afraid of the repercussions, be it, a job or judgment by friends or family. And I think deeply that's what I'm feeling a little bit this week and, and good on the chiefs, I think for hitting the pause button and allowing their players to, to deal with a lot of these feelings, because if I'm feeling these things, you know, the, that these players who have a bigger platform, who a lot of them are actually black and not white. I I'm sure that they have a ton of, of just more emotion and, and, and obviously investment in this. And, and that's the big thing I think about this week. And, and again, a little bit of my discomfort from even doing the podcast is it, it this is such an important week in history. We love mm. football, right? We, that's why we do this. We, it, right. it is awesome. It's, it's amazing, but they're just more important things to talk about this week. I've had very similar thoughts. I think back to, when Colin Kaepernick was staging his protest. And uh, we talked on Tuesday about the importance of listening to people and understanding what they're feeling. And we didn't really listen to Colin Kaepernick. I mean, I knew what he was protesting. Most people, I think, at least had been exposed to that. But we all chose to focus on something completely different, the nature of the protest as opposed to what it was he was trying to draw attention to. And I 
I feel really badly about that right now because in a lot of ways, he's been shown to have been correct. He chose a moment to do it, however, when there wasn't a case of police brutality that was so prevalent in the news. And I'm not criticizing him here. I'm just saying that the particular time he did it wasn't one where it was easy to see what he was talking about. It was too easy to get wrapped up in conflating his protest with um, a protest against soldiers or veterans or all that. And I think a lot of people totally misunderstood what he was doing. And I think that the media in some ways um, deserves some responsibility for that because we didn't do a good enough job of articulating his argument. Does that make any sense? Right. And I, I'll admit I, I felt this way. I felt in support of Kaepernick, but at the same time, I was trying to do my job and, and you almost felt mm-hmm. this would be a lot easier if this just went away. I can't wait till the end of this. Meaning we were just so lost, I just find, because mm-hmm. it just became a, a result of, I, I think, how the NFL responded. And, and it was uncomfortable to ask certain questions. If you, you, know, you went to a press conference or something and say it was Andy Reid, there's, an, there's a discomfort with asking that question, is Marcus Peters right or whatever. It, you're sort of shunned upon, at least you were back then. Maybe it'll be different this mm-hmm. year. And I, I think that's what we're seeing. Even Tyron Matthew yesterday, this was from Complex Sports. They posted a stat graphic, or I, I guess I should say a quote graphic of Brandon Marshall. And he's kneeling. And it says, four years ago, former Broncos linebacker Brandon Marshall sided with Kaepernick and took a knee during the anthem. He received serious threats, racial slurs, burned jerseys, and lost endorsements. Tyron Matthew quote tweeted it and said, I'm sorry I didn't stand taller with you. I'm sorry, man. And the Chiefs are really lucky to have Tyron Matthew on their side. I I just he's such a raw and honest individual in a league that just cares so much about their image and is just so tries to be almost sometimes over thoughtful on how they approach things. He's just really real. And I looked at this and I said, he's regretful and he knew that he could do more. I'm regretful of that. So I I think I'm sorry too. I I wish we would have dug in a little bit more on the home front about why Marcus Peters was doing this, why he has a right to be doing this. I think the ending of the Chiefs, there was a lot of things, right? And I, I know that's argued. I'm talking more specifically about when he was receiving all of this, I think, um, criticism for protesting and sitting on a bike during the, during the national anthem and you could tell that there was some pressure from the team to hopefully stand up. Mm -hmm. We could have been louder as a media group. I could have been louder as a journalist to say, not only is he right for doing this, but we stand behind him and it's difficult to look back. And so I, you know, if Matthew is, is apologizing, I feel like we should apologize. And, and the, the key thing here is, is we need to be better. I think 
this is an example that you're going to see some of that this fall, depending on if the NFL continues to do the national anthem before games. I, I could even see a scenario where they just pull the national anthem or something like that. If they, if they do do it, you're going to see kneeling again. I think from what I can tell, I, I don't want to speak for him. I'm sure we could ask him, but I think Tyron Matthews is going to partake in that. And this time around, we should not only list the players doing it, but we should hear why they're doing it. And we should continue covering it until we're blue in the face. And that is the new reality I think this week is accomplishing. And I'm happy about that. I, I, again, I, I just think this is almost like, a, like a, a, a bomb that's been building for so long. It's, it's been so combustible. And finally, I think we're seeing, and it took a long time, and this is something Colin Kaepernick is part of the reason why. Right. And, and this you is know, something this has been brought up many times this week that that he did raise awareness. Right. Even if it ended up costing him his NFL career, uh, he did accomplish the part of his purpose, which was to raise awareness that this is a problem that exists, not just when there's a particular person, a particular individual who falls victim to it. It's an ongoing problem that deserves and demands our attention. And I agree. I feel sorry that we in the media haven't done a better job of understanding what he was doing and helping him with his platform to at least get that point out. I think it was fair to question whether or not it was an appropriate way to do it. I I think that's fair. But it shouldn't have overshadowed what his message was. The only thing we could do now is be better in the future. And I, and I think you're starting to see that as recent as yesterday when Drew Brees was doing an interview with Yahoo Sports. Everyone is looking back now at Kaepernick's protests from a few years ago. And obviously, they were always about police brutality. And now it's coming back to the fore. And a lot of people expect that we will see players kneeling again even when the NFL season starts. I'm curious how you think the NFL will and should respond to that. And, of course, you're such a leader in the league. Uh, What is your responsibility as a leader uh, in times like this for the rest of your teammates and, and players in the league? Well, I, I will. I will never agree with anybody um, disrespecting the flag of the United States of America or our country. Um, let me let me just tell you what I see or what I feel when the national anthem is played, and when I look at the the flag of the United States, I envision my two grandfathers who fought for this country during World War II, one in the Army and one in the Marine Corps, both risking their lives to protect our country and to try to make our country and this world a better place. So every time I stand with my hand over my heart, looking at that flag and singing the national anthem, that's what I think about. And in many cases, it brings me to tears thinking about all that has been sacrificed, not just those in the military, but for that matter, those throughout the civil rights movements of the 60s and everyone and all that has been endured by so many people up until this point. And is everything right with our country right now? No, it's not. We still have a long way to go. But I think what you do by standing there and showing respect to the flag with your hand over your heart is it shows unity. It shows that we are all in this together. We can all do better. And that we are all part of the solution. As you can imagine, 
There was some pushback yesterday, and that included your Kansas City Chiefs. Tyron Matthew tweeted, shaking my head. You present New Orleans, Louisiana. Don't ever forget that. Matthew, of course, is from the area that Breeze plays in. Antonio Hamilton, I would have rather Drew Brees said nothing than to make that comment, shaking my head. Darwin Thompson, I bet you my grandpa's rolling in his grave to know he fought for this country 10 plus years and his grandson feared for his life being pulled over by the police because the color of his skin. Makes sense of that for me. Not asking you to feel my pain, but understand where I stand. Charvarius Ward quote tweeted the Yahoo interview with some clown emojis that was pushed back from Malcolm Jenkins and Ed Reed. Really a lot of anger here at a time when I think Drew Brees had an opportunity to say, you know, I respect the flag, but it's not about that. He went in the opposite direction. He tried to explain himself later on in the day. Then the New Orleans Saints said that they were going to discuss it in-house. And then finally, this morning on his Instagram account, he ends up posting an apology that his words were misconstrued. So that was the timeline of Drew Brees, who you know, he talked about how Patrick Mahomes is the face of the game. Drew Brees is one of the faces of the game. So this yeah. was a really big deal for NFL players. His teammates, too, were answering back. And, and Michael Thomas was subtweeting. And Emmanuel Sanders, a new teammate of Drew Brees, also subtweeting. They all unfollowed him. Just a, a really bad... I think, line of events for, for Breeze yesterday. Yeah, uh, and I read Therese Paler's piece this morning about it, and he's pointing out that this could be a locker room problem going forward for New Orleans. And he also pointed out that, you know, this could be a, a, a topic that will sow division in other NFL locker rooms this year. If you have players that feel, as apparently Breeze does, that any kind of a protest in an NFL game is disrespectful to the flags. But well, if, right. And yeah, you know what I'm saying that if there are protests similar to what Kaepernick did, that there will be pushback from players in the locker room and this could sow division in the locker rooms. That could be a problem. A lot of teams, not just the saints. And I think the division too is extended by the fact of this new world where a lot of the people who are on the side of the protest not only feel strongly about what they're protesting, but also feel a sense of, if you're not with us, you're against us, right? Mm -hmm. So now there is almost an added pressure to be part of the cause. And you're right. I mean, I, I'm not going to get into names, but I know some chiefs in the locker room that there is no way that they'll kneel. Mm -hmm. And they'll have a problem with people kneeling. And this is going to be something that will need to be addressed in not only the Chiefs locker room, but also each and every locker room. And I said this to you this morning on, on our Slack channel. The owners can't take the same approach they did last time. This is not something that, that I think you want to sweep under the rug. I would hope, as someone who covers the National Football League, that the owners take the approach of, we got it wrong. We got it wrong the last time. Let's embrace and amplify the feelings of our players as opposed to shutting them down again. And I remains to be seen. It's such a wild year because you have the element of, are there even fans going to be at the games? Mm -hmm. How does that come into play? So on and so forth. The NFL has an opportunity here to not run away. Again, we'll see what happens. I, I don't know. 
I don't know what the answer is. And, and that's something we'll, we'll have to monitor. And also too, going back to our initial conversation here today, John, call out if we feel personally like it's not right. And maybe like we were afraid to do before, you know, and, and I, I, I think that's a responsibility that you have as someone with any kind of platform at this point. Well, I, you know, one of the problems that we face in our business is that we're dependent on advertisers, on right. clicks, on readership. And that's been true for media outlets since the beginning of time. You know, we're not, we're not the first publication at Arrowhead Pride that has depended on advertisers uh, continuing to advertise in order to, for us to do what we do. We can't exist without those advertisers. And so there's a pressure there that we have to pay attention to because, you know, we can't lose advertisers. But at the same time, we have to do the right thing. It's a very difficult tightrope to walk, and it's yeah. been so forever. It's not just in the internet age that that's true. I, I think sometimes people think that clicks are somehow different than subscriptions to newspapers were 100 years ago, and they're right. not. They're not any different at all. It's the same thing. It's just in a different medium. And that's true, too. And I don't want to portray that I think there's going to be a simplified answer to this really, really complex question. Mm-hmm. I just know in my heart, I'm never going to be the same again. And I hope that is the case for a lot of people. And I, and I agree with that. I agree that it, it, it is a thing that has changed how I look at it. And I too want to do more to speak out and be fair about how we portray these kinds of things. Now, I wasn't a working member of the media when all this happened with Colin Kaepernick, and I can't sit here and say I would have done it differently if I had been, right? because I'm not sure I would have. I'm not sure I wouldn't have said, oh, well, we can't, we can't offend the audience. We can't. It was a very politically charged thing, and, and it would have been very hard to write pieces, for example, that said, you know, we're ignoring the real issue about Colin Kaepernick. But at least now, I think we can feel that people at least understand the issue, which they didn't right. when all that happened. So, as you say, the only thing you can do is improve as you move forward. And I think you and I are committed to, to doing that. Try to cover the Chiefs fully on this show. Steve Nelson had a tweet overnight, said, so glad I'm in Pittsburgh. Man, y'all don't even know half the bond between owner, coach, players, and staff is second to none. Best place to be a player, to be a lot of places, can't say that. And trust me, I know. I've seen it. Kind of a backhanded comment about the Chiefs. I think there's a little, in this particular case, I want to be clear here, I think there's a little hard feelings the Chiefs personnel maybe didn't value him as a player as much as he feels strongly that he is as a player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Granted, I also think that there is a little bit of what's going on in the world tied to this where potentially the Chiefs would have rather you not be as outspoken about some of these things. I remember there was a thing in training camp where the chiefs were willing to match any social justice donations. Ownership was discussing things with players and 
again, I, it's tough with this tweet. I want to make sure it's out there and, and you can sort of determine what you think it means yourself because it, it doesn't seem all that clear. But I, I think this is a complete complaint about Kansas City that even expands beyond some of the things we're seeing this week. Well, I think there's a distinct contrast between the Chiefs' response to the Kaepernick protest to its response this week. Yeah. I mean, the team's statement on Monday was full-throated. We stand with our players. And during the time of the Kaepernick protest, um, maybe not so full-throated. And I could see where a player who had been with the Chiefs at that time and now sees what happens on another team might see that as a fault of the team. But I think the Chiefs have also shown that they are willing to grow as well. I think that statement on Monday really made that pretty clear. It was a good statement. And the furthest the Chiefs have come, they could have gone a little bit further. I look at the middle part of it, and that was really the only part that I think carried weight. The senseless murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery are a grievous reminder of the inequality that exists in our nation. We all have an opportunity and a responsibility to advocate for change. But that said to me, is the Chiefs are opening the door here on trying to figure this out. You're right. It went further than anything they said during the Kaepernick protest, but there is still plenty of room, I think, right, to be mm-hmm. fair, for mm-hmm. them to expand upon this. Sure. We know sure. they're going dark for a week. I'm interested in seeing now what is the direction they go next week. And that's, I think, a big part of this protest, too. We've seen crazy weeks before and protest weeks before. It feels like this one and this movement has the wherewithal to not die. So it's not something where I think the NFL, the Chiefs included, everybody can just say, oh, we'll just wait. And we won't have by, by September, by October, this will be old news. Mm-hmm. I really don't think that's the case this time. And so how are you going to deal with this new reality? All right. That was a lengthy conversation about what's going on in the world. I actually didn't intend to go that long. I know we did, but I'm actually glad we did. I I think I was feeling a lot of these things and I I wanted to get them out. I want to be honest. I feel the same way (laughs) with the listeners. There is some important Chiefs news, I guess, this week. The fact that they will not be going to St. Joseph for training camp. And this is across the league. No team will be allowed to travel for training camp as of right now. And that is tough for the Chiefs. There are, I think, 22 teams that stay home anyway. 10 teams, mm-hmm. including the Chiefs, like to travel. I know the Chiefs really, really like to travel. So this is probably a shot to what they usually like to do. Andy Reid and the staff, they love St. Joe and getting away and being able to give players, for example, the younger guys, you keep them out of trouble. And the older guys get to get away from crying kids and their families and the hustle mm-hmm. and bustle. And they could really lock in on football for a month. You take that a little bit away when you stay in Kansas City. I know that this is a major question. I got a tweet immediately after I suggested they wouldn't be in St. Joe. What happens to the fans? My guess right now is that there's not going to be any fans at training camp, less maybe some season ticket holder days. That's what I would guess. I don't know. There's no information about that yet. This isn't even really, correct me if I'm wrong, official, John. Right. It isn't. Yeah. But that's the direction I see this going in. Well, and that's one of the things they're undoubtedly taught. They may be 
observing radio silence at one Arrowhead Drive, but I promise you they're having those conversations right now. What do we do about the fans at training camp? Because they have said over and over again that they value their interactions with fans in St. Joseph. And one of the reasons they go there is that St. Joseph can accommodate it. You know, on the campus of a, a, a small university, which Missouri Western State University is, they have the facilities where fans can sit along the, the field and, and watch the practices take place. That's not quite as true at the team's practice no. facility at Arrowhead. It'll be difficult for them to run a public training camp practice either outside or in the facility. The facility's not set up for that. You know, we could see maybe some autograph sessions or something, but that's going to increase the risk of players getting infected by having the public interact with them. I'm not going to be over eloquent here when I say that this stinks because the best part about (laughs) training camp is fan interaction with players. No longer with the team, but Dustin Colquitt would have conversations every morning as he was running down. And it really, I think, for people if they were able to make it up to St. Joe, humanize the players as they're working out, they'll sort of talk to the fans. You could see their faces. A lot of times when you're watching on TV, it's just helmets and it's really hard to see who these guys are. And, and, and some of the moments I think that stick with chiefs fans forever happen at training camp where a player is holding a baby or puts a hat on, or I know another Colquitt cool thing was he used to sign fan merchandise and then he would have the fan sign his hat. They're like a, a autograph exchange. I just always thought was really cool and getting to talk to Patrick Mahomes. I know that Ron went up as a fan who we'll talk to in the next segment and asked Sammy Watkins how many touchdowns he was going to have. And he just said 12, you know, like it's just conversations and face face to face time that you're not able to get otherwise. And I really think you're just going to have to wait a year for that. And I, I think this is the first sign of it. We'll see. I, again, it's not official. I don't, know if it's necessarily set in stone 100%, but it seems like it is. So we will let you know when it becomes official at arrowheadpride.com. So right now, it looks like no St. Joe. I mentioned Ron and his excellent conversation with Sammy Watkins where he got a touchdown prediction last year. (laughs) Some more good stuff from Ron in the next segment. He did a fantastic article for us at arrowheadpride.com outlining the five chiefs to watch who have contract years in 2020. More from him next on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. As promised right now, we welcome on one of our staff writers doing a great job for us. Probably does two, three, four articles a week for us. Fantastic work from Ron Kopp. Ron, welcome to the program. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, I've been enjoying it. Uh, you guys have been, you know, kicking butt. Uh, editor show, I told you, it kind of feels behind the scenes at AP a little bit. So uh, I, I've been enjoying it, so I'm sure the fans have been too. 
Great to pull the curtain back. And when we love your feedback, I have my email address on my Twitter. Like Ron, if you like something, if you don't like something, if you have a suggestion, always please just reach out to me. But Ron, I want to get into your five chiefs going into their contract year in 2020. Amid everything that's going on in the world, there still seems like there's going to be an NFL season played on time. And so this year in particular is critical. You came to me with this article. What was your thought process in in getting this list together? Well, first off, uh, you know, I I listed five guys, but there is a sixth guy uh, that I noticed some commenters, uh, (laughs) Sammy Watkins. I just, you know, I feel like we've talked about him enough. You know, it's, it's, it's played out. We know it's contract year. We know it's, you know, it's probably his last year unless he just, so I I included kind of five, you know, more, maybe more low key guys, uh, maybe more uh, role players that really need to step up and really need to perform well to get in, you know, to get that big contract next year. So briefly uh, too, and, and, and to defend you a little bit here, here's where I'm at on Sammy. And then we could get on the list of, of the guys who we consider contract years. It felt like this off season with everything that went down, his comments with Bleacher Report, the Chiefs bringing him back on this one-year deal where they come to some sort of agreement. It feels like this is the last dance for Sammy, even if he has a great year. I, I think they said, let's figure this out and try to hashtag run it back. And then from Sammy's words, you can kind of tell that he has this deep desire to be the guy. Tyree Kill is still in his mid-20s. That is not changing anytime soon. That is your go-to player at wide receiver on the Chiefs. And so, of course, it is a contract year because he'll make that deal, in my opinion, somewhere else. But the chances of him returning to Kansas City to do that, at least in my mind, are slim. And so I could see where you sort of veered in another way because I think the purpose of the list was, well, let's talk about the guys that we haven't really been talking about that maybe we forgot that it's their contract year. Everybody knows it's Sammy Watkins' contract year. And as I said, I think he'll be elsewhere next year. Yeah, and you could argue that no matter how well Sammy does, uh, he's going to get a certain amount on the free agent market. Right. Name, and, you know, he did have this great playoff run the last two years. Um, but these guys are guys that, you know, if they don't play well, they may not get any sort of contract. They might not get, you know, any, you know, any sort of bigger contract than they have now. So these guys can really you know, help themselves. And maybe, you know, I can start off with passing, you because yeah, go ahead. I think he has uh, as much to win, uh, gain as anybody uh, just because of the position he plays, the nature of that position, you know, the NFL is really looking for quality pass rushers and, you know, going into his second year with Spagnolo, you know, Spagnolo loves his frame, his, his build. Um, Spagnolo is going to keep kind of working him, keep kind of, you know, uh, getting him going in there. And I think, uh, you know, he has Clark and Okafor ahead of him. But I don't think it's uh, for sure thing that Okafor, uh, you know, takes the majority of the reps over him. Uh, right. Okafor's had some injury issues. And passing, you know, I, I can't remember off the top of my head any injury issues recently, um, even in the NFL at all. So, um, and, you know, he's only 26 years old. He's, you know, he's, and I think he, he's turning 26 in June. So he's just turning 26. But yeah, he, t- he had six sacks in the 19 game, you know, uh, regular season plus postseason last year. If you just get that number a little closer to like 10, you know, nine, nine and a half, 10. Right. That number itself is going to get you a pretty big contract in the open market, probably. 
the thing that's been interesting about the Chiefs is that Okafor was brought on. He looked really good in camp and then never really translated that to the regular season. I tend to wonder how healthy he was even in the games that he was able to contribute. It did open the door for guys like like Tano Pasnio, Emmanuel Agba, who ended up getting that lucrative deal down in Miami. This just goes to show with Pasnio in particular, you never know. Because I was going into the first Spagnolo year and I said, this is just a matter of time. I had him in the Breland Speaks category of this is a failure. This is a waste of a second round pick. The days are numbered until he's the Cleveland Brown with John Dorsey. It just didn't play out that way. Steve Spagnuolo entered and he said, you know, I like these big guys. I think we, and he had a, a role for him. And it has, in my mind, really revamped and given Tano another chance here. So here he is in a contract year. There's no more motivation than a contract year. You noted in this article, Ron Kopp, and it's someone that I looked up to as well, uh, who was on the beat before me, and Therese Paler. He says the contract year is undefeated. This is the year for Tano to really make his money. And that's a good thing for the Chiefs because he could play an important role position. And I think go from last year being, all right, maybe he won't make the roster to maybe he's a significant producer at end. There, that is the ceiling. And that's amazing to say based upon where we were last year. Well, yeah. And you, you see him be versatile. You know, Spags puts him inside too, yeah. at the three tech and even, you know, sometimes at the one tech as well. Um, and we got to remember too, you know, he was drafted and he had to play outside linebacker for a couple of years before, uh, you know, right. Spagnuolo came in here and made him, a, you know, three point stance, hand in the dirt defensive end, which, you know, is probably more comfortable for him. So yeah, I think he has, he has plenty more room to grow. We could see the best of him uh, for sure this year. Moving on, we go to the, Center of the Chiefs' offensive line, Austin Ryder, is on a contract year. Yes, and you know it's it's funny because uh, he kind of had his own contract year a couple years ago with us when he kind of had to fill in. I, I believe it was yeah, Mitch Morse uh, was yep. hurt for a four game stretch. Ryder came in, and apparently it was impressive enough to get a two year extension. So he's gonna have to do it again. And the thing is, uh, I kind of noted in the article, it's kind of a double edged sword for him. Because if he does play really well and he is this, you know, this exceptional center, we probably aren't going to be able to afford him. The Chiefs aren't going to be able to afford to bring him back. Um, I know he's kind of, you know, he's older. I think he's about 30 years old at this point, or he's going to be 30 uh, by 2021. But, uh, you know, centers, especially someone who just centered potentially a back-to-back Super Bowl champion, you know, a team's going to want to pay him probably. And, you know, it's not like the Chiefs have a great amount of cap room with the cap situation going on. So, but then if he plays poorly, you know, it's probably not a debate. You probably just move on. You probably uh, try out Allegretti or, you know, Daryl Williams too, uh, undrafted free agent this year. So Ryder's definitely got a lot to prove, but I think either way, even if he does uh, earn himself a pretty good contract, it's probably not going to be in Kansas City. The Chiefs have really treated, I think, the center position in general like a cycle, right? They didn't want to pay Rodney Hudson, so they bring in Mitch Morse, who was, at the time, if you remember, surprisingly, the starter really early on. I believe it was as a a rookie. Mm -hmm. Austin Ryder, out of the blue, comes in, proves himself during that stretch. At the time they gave him that extension, we were saying, oh, well, what does this mean for Mitch Morse? Mitch Morse signed a very lucrative contract with the Buffalo Bills that the Chiefs were never going to pay. And then here we are again with Austin Ryder. It doesn't seem like it's part of the Chiefs' philosophical strategy, personnel strategy to pay centers. And I think you're right. I think Austin Ryder 
if he plays well enough, could play himself out of a contract. This is not a position the Chiefs really want to spend any sort of, I think, significant money on. And they haven't had to. I mean, don't forget, this is the team that won the Super Bowl. So they were right, uh, I think, to do so. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's pretty evident, you know, at this point, how, how much Andy Reid gets out of late draft picks in the interior offensive line, you know, right. guard or center, uh, you know, I mean, LDT was a six round pick. Wiley was a late round pick. I mean, all these guys he brings in, uh, he, he never seems to, you know, want to pay, you know, LDT got paid, I guess, but he was originally it, a late round pick. So it, yeah, it just goes to show at quarterback at defensive end at safety, you can only coach up so much where it seems like, interior OL they really look at as a coachable position and they love projects. I mean, the LDT contract is a little bit of an extension, but don't forget he had to rework his deal. So in a sense that is just keeping him here and he was a complete project because of playing in the Canadian football league where the rules are a little bit different as to how they line up and such. And, and that was another good job. So yeah, they, they spend low amounts at that position and, and they're able to flourish Regardless, we want to move on to uh, Damian Wilson was your your next person on this list. Yeah, he is actually one of the more interesting on this list because he has signed his second contract. This is not coming off of his rookie deal. And he actually has a chance to sign another multi-year contract. I mean, he's only 27 years old. Uh, it's not that old for a linebacker, an off-ball linebacker. And, you know, he he he. he he plays on-ball linebacker as well. Um, and, you know, that that's – I noted in the article – uh, it's really going to depend on where they put him at. Um, I know the defensive coaches have uh, said that they're going to kind of keep him at the will right now and uh, have Willie Gay start at Sam. Um, and, you know, that's probably good for Wilson because, uh, you know, playing Will, you kind of you stay on the field longer. You know, you, you stay on the field in nickel formations. The Sam right. is the one that comes off the field. And who knows, maybe he's not the one that stays on the field. But either way, if he is on the field more, it's only going to uh, help you, uh, you know, earn a bigger contract. Um, if he does move to Sam, you know, it's going to it's gonna take away reps. You know, he's not going to be on the field as much. He's not going to be able to show as much. And, you know, uh, teams take into account snap count when they're evaluating how much they want to give you. You know, if you, did, if you weren't on the field for, you know, a, a certain amount of time, they're not going to want to give you a certain amount, you know, a certain amount of money. So This, this is interesting to me because I think there's this sub storyline too. I really like Damian Wilson in camp. I talked about how I liked Alex Okafor and it didn't really translate. I think there's a case to be made, let's say by week eight or week nine, where your two best linebackers may be Damian Wilson and then Willie Gay. And they love Hitchens so much. And he has all this leadership quality to him and, and everything. But when you're talking about athletes and fit at these linebacker positions, shoot, man, I at a, eventually you have to keep the best talent on the field. And I just, I just think that that could be the case. Yeah, and I think with Wilson too, uh, he was always a Sam linebacker. And right. He gets here, and then we move him to Will, and he he has to do that basically in the middle of the season. Now he has a full off season to maybe you know maybe reshape his body. Maybe he wants to be a little more athletic, maybe more able to you know cover running backs, tight ends out of the back, you know. Uh, so maybe he's kind of preparing himself more to be more of a coverage player that he didn't have to be. You know, he didn't think he needed to be beforehand. And yeah, so maybe he does take a little step forward and. You're, I, you know, that's, it's crazy to say because of, you know, Hitchens had the money he's getting, but hey, uh, you know, based on their play on the field, I mean, it's, it's not that far off. It's not that, uh, you know, far off to say that Wilson could be better than Hitchens. Right. And I know a lot of people be like, oh, well, Hitchens was a Super Bowl captain voted by the teammates. So was Dustin Colquitt. 
this is a business. You have to remember that. And, and I think keep that in mind when they're making these offseason tough calls. It, it, it turns out to be tough calls, especially when you have guys that you really like off the field. Speaking of guys, the team loves off the field, and we've seen it for years and years and years, safety Dan Sorensen. Yes, and uh, Sorensen is definitely a guy, uh, you know, I've been, last offseason, I was calling for him being cut. You know, I, I, I see, you know, we just tried to save the money, save the three or four million he was owed. And I was dead wrong, and I admit that because, you know, he does play a really crucial role. You know, that third safety is really important, uh, even before in, uh, uh, you know, the old defense, but also with Spagnolo. Uh, he likes to, you know, because Matthew plays the slot. He needs that third safety to come in. And everyone knows the special team prowess as well. So um, the thing with Sorensen, though, is his age. You know, he's, he's 30 years old, yep. you know, if he, and he doesn't – he's not a starter on the defense. So it, it's hard to see him, you know – garnering a huge contract in the offseason, you know, a, a multi-year deal from a team, you know, you know, m- maybe some team does see his value. They really want to, you know, have that special teams ace, that veteran that, you know, is going to come in and, you know, be a four-phase starter and help on defense. But I don't really see him, uh, you know, garnering too much attention after this year, unless, you know, he somehow improves a lot more, plays a lot more. Um, so I, I noted at the end of this, uh, the paragraph, but uh, I, I think he could just end up back here on, you know, maybe another one-year deal and just maybe that's kind of the way he goes until he decides to hang it up. I think, I think I lean that way. I was with you. I thought he might be cut last year. Then he had one of the most memorable plays of the Super Bowl run with that tackle in the Texans game. And some people out there will say, if that doesn't happen, maybe the Chiefs don't win the Super Bowl. It's, it's a decent argument. We'll never know. I look at Sorensen and he provides you a role with the safeties where this reserve guy who can come in on certain packages and plays, but you're right about the special teams and that prowess. And there's such a willingness to do it. That's how Frank Zamba was still in the league while he was. And I could see him in that sort of role where he's not going to demand a ton of money on the open market unless he makes a few more plays like he did in the playoffs. I think we saw the result of Kendall Fuller getting a little bit of a contract boost because of that. I don't think he's going to demand a ton of money and he could be that career special teams type leader, handful of defensive snaps. If Juan Thornhill, not a season ending injury or retiring Matthew has to miss a game because injuries happen, can fill in and be exactly what you need for a game or two. And that's a good career. I mean, you look at guys with way more aspirations and, and way more expectations who are out of the league in a handful of years. You can make a career out of being a special teams and locker room leader, and I think that could be the that could be what the future holds for Dan Sorensen. Yeah, and you know, Chiefs fans know as as much as any fan uh, about special teams coaches kind of you know having their say and like you know kind of having power in the room, and you know there there's probably other special teams coaches that have their say in personnel stuff, and right. you know, Sorensen you know could be good enough to where some special teams coaches. Hey, you know, we got to, you know, maybe we got to overpay a little bit to get this guy, but he's really important. He's going to be a really uh, good glue piece for, you know, a championship contender. So, yeah, there may be a team that kind of tries to outbid us maybe after this season. So it'll, it'll be interesting. Don't forget here, and this is getting really layered with it. Teams being able to hire assistant coaches into bigger roles is going to change the game a little bit. So if a Chiefs personnel or coaching staff member ends up jumping and knows about Sorensen and really pushes for him, that not necessarily is going to happen with Sorensen, but I, I think that's just an example for you to remember how that new rule attachment to the Rooney rule changes is going to really impact 
even when it comes to the players. I, I just think there could be more player movement that goes along with it because I think people are going to really know guys a bit more as these coaches start to move. I feel like you have seen examples of, uh, you know, uh, guys that get into uh, head coaching or maybe even general manager position elsewhere. You know, they want to bring guys that they know that maybe, you know, they were familiar with at the old right. team. They know they're better, you know, they can rely on them. They know they're going to be a good veteran presence and they may overpay a little bit because, you know, maybe they're rebuilding, you know, maybe they can afford to, you know, maybe overpay the veteran guys a little bit because you're trying to get younger. So, yeah, I, I, I like that point. That was a good point. Very recently, too. I, I mean, I'll just say quickly, Eric Murray to the Browns in that in that trade. And even recently, and, and again, this is two sides of the football, but still Jordan Lucas to the Bears with Matt Nagy and Nick Foles. And yep, these are just people that know each other, you know, and, and I just think sometimes that gets lost when we're just looking at how the NFL is such a grand stage. Final player on your list, Damian Williams, and he has some rookie competition. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, he, he has the great playoff performances. You know, he's always going to be a favorite chief of all time, I would say. I mean, you know, I'd, everyone's going to love him forever. You know, he's never going to have to buy a drink in Kansas City again. But right. you got to remember the regular season performance. Uh, you know, uh, I can't remember the exact stat, but it's like 30-something percent of his rushing yards came on two carries. You know, he, he was not, you know, consistently – a great performer last year. I know the offensive line in the first half of the year was a little banged up and that didn't help, you know, at all. But I, I the, the team recognized that. They they bring in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. They know that they need, a, you know, a, maybe just a younger, maybe a little more explosive of an athlete. And I find it interesting because I think Williams and Edwards-Hilaire kind of do share a similar trait as in they both play really well. They both run like not just short routes, but they can run, you know, intermediate to deep routes pretty well. You know, we see Damian Williams on that wheel route uh, that, you know, Mahomes has made famous for him at this point. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire can do that too. So they both kind of have that same receiving uh, weaponry, I guess. And, you know, that's why I think I just can't see Williams coming back. Uh, You know, you want to get younger at the running back position. He's going to be 29 years old by the time it's 2021. Um, so I think, you know, the writing's on the wall. Uh, Edwards Hilaire is going to slowly but surely take over this year. And it's going to get to the point maybe where eventually uh, Williams has a 2018 kind of role where we didn't really see him a lot behind Kareem Hunt. I've talked about Williams a lot in this podcast, but I'll just briefly say Williams put the Chiefs in a little bit of a bind last year at the beginning of the season when he was injured. He doesn't put together necessarily full seasons. And I I don't think the Chiefs address running back in the first round with some other needs on the team. If they don't feel strongly of, okay, we need someone at that position in the future. So I don't see Damian Williams here in 2021, but he can make himself a little bit of money, I think, this season by A, being healthy, right? And B, still contributing and running basically for your career and your life. And and don't forget, there's going to be other jobs out there. We see Carlos Hyde. He's been having a new team, it feels like, every year. And so if you can just prove that you'll be available and you should be able to have at least a few more years here, I, I think, in his NFL career. Yeah, it's sort of the unfortunate part of being a running back. You know, it's a really tough position. I right. mean, you're getting hit every time, but you know, there's just not the value. I mean, these running backs don't really get paid, you know, these big contracts. And Williams is not going to be in a position where a team's going to, you know, unless, you know, he really comes out this year and, you know, show, you know, shows the postseason stretch the entire season, I could see it. But 
I just, you know, it, it kind of stinks for running backs. I've always thought, uh, you know, it's kind of unfair, but that's just how it goes. And like you said, you know, he'll probably make his living, you know, off one year deals here and there. Um, he's a great receiving back. You know, you are, he's already shown that. And you could make the case of this year. He's more of a complimentary back. Uh, he doesn't have that wear and tear as much on his body. You know, he does, you know, he kind of saved himself a little bit. And then a team might, uh, you know, see that and say, hey, let's, uh, you know, let's bring him in, make him our full-time guy. So we'll see. He is Ron Kopp. You can catch his fabulous work at arrowheadpride.com. Five Chiefs going into their contract year in 2020. If you want to follow Ron on Twitter, Ron underscore Kopp. Ron, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, I appreciate it, Pete. Coming up next on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, we'll go through which Chiefs landed on the Pro Football Focus Top 50. Plus, we'll review the six Chiefs that have found new jobs. Who will the Chiefs miss the most? Stick with it on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show final segment. Thank you to Ron for joining us. Beat Sweeney, John Dixon. Let's get into the Pro Football Focus Top 50. John, is this their like 16th list this year? How many lists is Pro Football Focus <laughs> going to do? Well, this one is a little different because it's not based entirely and specifically on PFF grades. Now, obviously, they have a, a big part in it because that's what they do. But they say right at the top that this is Sam Monson adjusting those grades and coming up with a, a list that is based on some levels on his opinion. And in um, his opinion for the fourth straight year is that Aaron Donald is better than Patrick Mahomes, and I don't <laughs> go along with that. So there's that. <laughs> I think BFF does a pretty good job. I know some people aren't huge fans, but mm-hmm. I, I like the work they do because it quantifies some of the things that box score statistics will not. And so I think that's important to have, especially, for example, when you are judging a defensive lineman and really for years and years and years, all we could look at is sacks. And now they've changed the game a little bit Mm -hmm. in that. And you're able to judge edge players based upon pressures and making quarterbacks uncomfortable. But to say a defensive lineman is important in a quarterback in general is a dumb thing to say when you're watching the NFL. Right. It's because... If you don't have a quarterback, you don't have anything. I don't care how many defensive linemen. You can have the best defensive line in the league. If your quarterback is Brody Croyle, you're not going to the playoffs. And so, like to me, it's a little cute to say Aaron Donald is the best player over Patrick Mahomes because Mahomes is the best quarterback. And that's how the MVP works, and it should. And that's just always been my opinion. One thing I noted here, John, and I'll let you kind of get into this list, the five Chiefs that are on it, we're within the top 23. So this is the PFF top 50. The Chiefs have five of the best 23 players in the league, according to Pro Football Focus. That's huge. Right. And I think that's a, a something that we can all hang on to about this list, even though I had a problem with the number one thing, uh, the number one position. And I generally think PFF grades are a good thing to have. They have some unique statistics that have some value. The idea of grading players on a play-by-play basis is very good. Some would argue that their grading system is too arbitrary and not transparent enough, and those are all valid concerns. I go along with that. But they're doing the work that regular fans can't do, 
And there's some value in that. And I'm, uh, I happen to write the piece that we've published on this list. And as I point out, when they first started, PFF made a point of saying, you can't use these ratings to compare players across positions. It started out as being, you know, here are the best defensive tackles in the leagues. Here are the grades that support that view. Here right. are the best cornerbacks in the league. Here are the numbers that support that view. Well, in the last few years, they've changed their system so that they say you can compare players across positions. Right. I've always felt that that was something that was very subjective and can't really be quantified that way. And I think putting Aaron Donald above Patrick Mahomes on this list is an indicator of, of that uh, problem with PFF's system as it now stands. So plenty to like about PFF, but they don't, they don't have everything right. Let's go through the rankings here. So we already noted Patrick Mahomes is number two. Chris Jones, interior defensive lineman, is number 16. Travis Kelsey, number 19. Tyree Kill, number 22. Mitchell Schwartz, number 23. Already, I feel like Mitch Schwartz is probably in the correct spot. In my opinion, Chris Jones may be a little too high, and Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill are too low. Is that about where you fell? I felt that the comparison that PFF made to George Kittle messed up the ranking quite a bit. They have him fifth on this list and Kelsey at 19th. Now, I'm willing to go along with the idea that George Kittle is a better blocker than Travis Kelsey, and I'm willing to go along with the idea that's right. an important part of the tight end position. But I don't think it puts 14 spots between Kittle and Kelsey. In other words... I'm willing to put Kittle above Kelsey on that basis, but I think they should be closer to each other in the rankings. What does the national media have against Travis Kelsey? First, it was Rob Gronkowski, who for years they would insist is better, is better, is better. And then finally, Gronkowski retires and George Kittle is up and coming. And you mentioned it. I would agree with you. I think he is a better blocker. I don't think Kelsey's a bad blocker, like is rumored out there, like a lot of people in New England like to push on you. I think maybe he's average, slightly above average. Still, what he's able to do on a year-to-year -year basis with production, for me, puts him over George Kittle until he can be consistent like Kelsey in that. And, and Kelsey is so important for the Chiefs. And I think back to his father hugging him at the Super Bowl, saying, mm -hmm. you never really get the respect you deserved or you never have really gotten the respect you deserve. That's still the case. It's still, I don't know what the deal is with this guy. At the, at the national level, you should be getting at least close by to Kittle, if not above him on every single list. One thing that I like about this is this will keep Travis Kelsey hungry. All these yeah, players oh, like yeah. to say that they don't read the rankings. They do. <laughs> and he'll see this and say, I am the best tight end, and I'm about to go out in 2020 and show you once again. Because I, I just know the passion that he has to be the best. So whatever. That's right. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. And then with uh, Tyreek Hill, I went back and looked. He wasn't on this list last year. Okay. And um, uh, so, you know. Well, people weren't sure if he was going to play at that point, right? Right, right. And I, and I mentioned this in the article a year ago. We didn't know if he was going to play. We didn't know how many games he was going to play. This has struck me several times this year as we've seen what 
Tyreek Hill has been up to and what he's accomplished in 2019 and how he's now viewed. It was just a year ago. They were all sitting on pens and needles wondering if he was going to play, if he was going to be suspended right. a significant amount of time. And as it turned out, he ended up missing four, almost five games with an injury, just yeah. as if he had been suspended. And the season still ended with the Chiefs winning a Super Bowl. And a if, year ago, we were wondering if that was possible without Tyreek Hill for part of the season. If um, you look on Instagram and Twitter recently at Tyreek Hill, too, he has put in some work this offseason. He, he really if has. If you've yeah. ever seen a photo of Darwin Thompson, he sort of looks like Darwin Thompson, but even to a greater extent. I, I wonder if at the height of 5'10", he made a point of it to get stronger this year. I, I've noted a couple times on this podcast, he really wants to be considered one of the greatest wide receivers in the league, one of the best wide receivers in the league, one of the greatest to do it. And maybe he feels by putting on weight, he can win some of those one-on-one balls a little bit better, high pointing and, and making sure that he is stronger than the opposing defender. But you hope it doesn't affect his speed. I don't, I don't necessarily think that it will. It's just because he's unworldly fast. And, and I just don't see that being that much of a hindrance. But, you know, you, John, you noted he wasn't even on this list last year. He may be in the top five next year. based upon Well, he's it. already in the top five. He's fourth on this list right now. I think the question is whether he becomes the number one receiver. or. Closer. Oh, no, I meant top five, period. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, like well, top Julio receiver, Jones, yeah, and Julio then Jones is third on this list. Exactly, that's that's yeah. more what I'm what I'm yeah. going yeah, for. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. Yeah, now that I understand the point that you're making, you know, it's good that he made the list this year. I think the question is whether he ascends to the absolute elite on it. I I'll, I'll agree with you there. I'm all think, in on Mitchell Schwartz. Uh, they have him listed right. as the top tackle in the league. I think that's great. I think that that's great that analysts are now recognizing that right tackles are important as left tackles. I think this is the Pro Bowl year for him. I mm-hmm. think it's interesting, and these are the two noted snubs. Frank Clark probably needs to be a bit more consistent early on in the year. He was dealing with that weird injury at the beginning of the season, and so put a full healthy year together. We'll see if he pops up on this list. And then Tyron Matthew, to me, again, we've noted a couple times here, a defensive player of the year, second half candidate, probably just needs the full season of that type of production to break onto some of these these lists. So there you have it. Five Chiefs on the Pro Football Focus Top 50. Can't wait for their 17th list next week. We'll have to cover that one as well. I want to move on to our final topic of the day, and that's reviewing the six Chiefs who have found new jobs. People seem to like this article this week, we covered the guys that were still available from the championship team. We're now moving on to the six former Chiefs who have found jobs, and I'll list them out for you. It's tight end Blake Bell, who played as that number two tight end for the Chiefs last year. He found a home with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Cam Irving, I'll speak briefly for Chiefs fans when I say, good riddance! He also is <laughs> headed to the Dallas Cowboys. Kendall Fuller, is going back to Washington. He is now headed to Washington after being a key part of the Chiefs down the stretch last year in more of a safety hybrid role. And you saw that in the Super Bowl. He'll have that forever moment of that interception 
and that sealed the deal for the Kansas City Chiefs to win the championship. Jordan Lucas, more of a special teams role player. He's headed to Matt Nagy and the Chicago Bears. Emmanuel Agba, he is going to the Miami Dolphins and Stephanie Wisniewski, the left guard for the Chiefs during their Super Bowl run. He's going home to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers with Steve Nelson, who loves Pittsburgh. So I'm sure that'll be a treat for him. So who of the six, John, in your opinion, will the Chiefs miss the most? I think it's Fuller. Uh, He had a pretty strong role at the end of the season in that hybrid safety role. And part of that was because they were without one Thornhill in the postseason, of course. But I think they were able to find a way to use Fuller in the way where he worked best for the team in Steve Spagnuolo's defense. And I think they'll they'll miss him more than anybody. Uh, but second place, definitely Emmanuel Ogba. Right. It's tough. I, it's between them for me. I think Ogba was maybe better than people realized. You hear that from some of the Chiefs, yeah. which is more important. Where... I think they were already planning for life after Fuller. Worth noting here, too, with Fuller, for those who wanted to keep him, his deal with Washington is ridiculous. There's no way the Chiefs could have afforded to, to pay him. Right. Out. I agree. can make a case with Agba outpricing himself as well. Wisniewski was going home, and the Chiefs feel like Mike Remmers is a comparable player. They have said that. I guess I would agree with you as I talk myself into it. I think Fuller, of this list is the player they'll, they'll miss the most. And to me, that says more about the list than Fuller. I, I don't think the Chiefs really had any significant losses to other teams in this list. And with Fuller being on top of that, that to me proves, proves it. And I'm, I'm happy for Fuller. I think he'll be remembered for most of Kansas City for the two trivia questions. Who did the Chiefs trade for Alex Smith? <laughs> and who had the final interception of the game uh, in the Super Bowl for the Chiefs. And Kendall Fuller is, is both of your answers. That's a good point. I hadn't even thought about that. Well, there you have it. That's a complete show for you today here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. You can get at us on Twitter at Arrowhead Pride. John is at Arrowheadphones. I am at Peachy Sween. Coming up next on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network will be the Arrowhead Pride Laboratory on Monday, and we will be back with you Tuesday. Until then, keep it locked in at arrowheadpride.com. We thank you today for joining us on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. Show.